I want to make money. But my end all be all is I don't need money. Yes, I like it. My wife loves it. But it's what can I do with that money? And so I turn my why into giving back. So I give back 20% of my personal profits back to veteran and first responder charities. Your network is your net worth. Come listen to some of the most successful people I know. Share invaluable knowledge, stories, and advice in real estate, business, and beyond. This is Weiss Advice. Whether you want to take your business or personal life to the next level, look no further. Welcome back to another episode of Weiss Advice. I'm your host, Yona Weiss. As always, and excited to be here with another incredible guest. I am so grateful to be with Colby Bowers, who is the founder of Sentinel Equity Group. How are you, Colby? I'm doing awesome. You know, thanks for having me on. Really excited to be here. And yeah, I'm looking to get this conversation going and, and learning and teaching. I mean, it's amazing to... I always love, and I've said this over and over and over again, and so of our listeners, this sounds repetitive. It's because it is, and I want to show my appreciation, but I always love interviewing veterans, you know, and Colby is a, you know, a very long veteran of the Air Force officer. And that's something that just, to me, it's, it, I'm, I'm very grateful for veterans who have served in the army. Three of my grandparents were army veterans from World War II. And so I have, you know, a lot of gratitude towards veterans and taking the route of real estate is also incredible to me. You know, we've had some of the guys from ADPI on the show and just to see people who are taking that turn and going full-time into real estate after a successful military career just speaks a lot. And I'm sure you've been able to bring a lot of your skills along with you, which have made you very successful. So without me just rambling on about that, I'd love for you to give our listeners a little brief background of who you are, and where you're up to at this point in your career. Yeah, no, thank you. And thank you. You know, it's, it's always humbling to to be thanked for search. You know, it's just, we look at it as a job, but it, you know, the appreciation is really, really heartfelt. So thank you for that. You know, like you mentioned, I spent 23 years in the Air Force. I was a combat medic. I actually deployed quite a bit with the Army and the Marines. I actually spent five years jumping out of airplanes so I wasn't really bright early in my career because, you know, falling out of a perfectly good airplane is, you know, looking back, it was fun in my 20s, but my knees and my back really let me know now that, hey, that was a dumb decision. But, you know, a lot of fun, right? A lot of adventures and there's, you know, trials and tribulations, you know, and, and a lot of the skills, you're right, you know, while on active duty, you know, we're put in a lot of leadership positions, given, you know, greater responsibility, you know, especially as a teenager, you know, 20 something year old. And, you know, it allows you to grow, I think, really well. And it really relates to real estate, especially with being a syndicator and an operator, because you have to be a self-starter. You have to be self-motivated and you have to have discipline because this isn't easy. This isn't like all the success stories, you know, Grant Cardone had his failures, Rod Cleave, Michael Blount, all those, you know, it looks like they're overnight successes. But if you go and ask any of them, you know, there's... Plenty of time where they probably wanted to quit and give up. So, you know, so I, and I think that's why this draws us veterans to this is we love a challenge. You know, we know how not to give up. And, you know, I know Eric Upchurch, all the J-Core yeah. guys, ADPI, you know, we're a tight little circle in this industry. But, you know, one of the things too is, you know, we're tired of people telling us what to do. 
in the military. <laughs> so I think this is why this also a plot, you know, is really a thing because I can do what I want. <laughs> right. I still have a boss, my wife, but <laughs> you know, my day to day is up to me. And so, uh, yeah, it's been a great ride and an actually a very easy transition going from active duty military into full-time real estate. That's awesome. And you, you actually started investing in real estate while you were still active duty, correct? I did. You know, I used, took advantage of my VA loan for being active duty. I bought my first house way back in 2001, which at the time was a record low interest rate of 7%. So you know, we come a long way and we're kind of going back. So everyone's like, oh, interest rates are, you know, like, well, you know, I, I had a good one. I thought it was good back then. But that's what started me down this. And because of the high ops tempo with a couple of the units I was assigned to, you know, I was very thrifty. I didn't go out and buy new vehicles, save my money. And I started like a lot of other people, I started buying single family homes and realized really quickly because I tried to manage them myself. I got bad advice from an uncle that was like, you know, you're losing 10% if you have somebody else managing it. And it's blah, blah, blah. And, you know, looking back, I'm like, that was the worst advice. I should have, I would have been further along. So yeah, I love third-party management, but you know, learned learned through trials and tribulations and realized I wanted to get into bigger stuff and didn't know how to until I got close to retirement. You coaching mentorship programs, doing some self-teaching and got into the right, you know, network of folks. And it's been a wild ride. So that's awesome. I mean, it's great. And this is a pretty common denominator I've seen, you know, having a mentor, having a group or a mastermind of sorts that allows you to leverage others' experiences to get you into your first deal, at least into your first deal. I assume that's how you did it. I'm just assuming, but I think I do recall mentioning that earlier anyways. Yeah. Yeah. And that my foray into multifamily was as a limited partner. I invested with somebody else in a mastermind slash mentor I was with who happened to be a veteran <laughs> as well. Yeah. They were part of the general partnership. And I called them and said, hey, I have some money. I want to invest. I really don't care about the returns or anything. Yeah, I want to make money. Don't want to lose it. I said, but can I be a fly on the wall? Can I sit in to the GP meetings? I want to be behind the scenes because you know it makes sense. I think I know what I'm doing, but I don't have any real world Practical, yeah. practicality, your application, and you know, I felt confident, like, oh, I can do a ten unit, you know. But you add a zero to the ten unit, and then you add a zero to the purchase price. That adds zeros to the mistakes, and it becomes very overwhelming. Sure. And I'll take my biggest takeaway from that: being able that fly on the wall is the confidence booster. Because I really, and that was on a three hundred plus unit portfolio that I LP'd on. So I, I went big on my first LP. Well, what was good about it behind the scenes is the process of that 300 plus unit portfolio was no different than the process for a 10 unit. Mm -hmm. It took a little bit longer, right? It's a little bit more drawn out because sure. there's, there's more, more things, more stuff. Sure. Right. More stuff, more zeros, more loan, more lend, you know, the lending type stuff. But the process was the exact same. And that was huge for me and to get me over that self-doubt of, can I do this? And I was like, yeah, I can do that. The light bulb went off. I was just like, let's do it. Let's say yes and figure it out. And also, like you said, is, you know, building that network. You know, I didn't do this alone. This is definitely a team sport. I didn't take down my first deal by myself. You know, I 
got somebody who was more knowledgeable because you want, you know, I don't want to fail on the first deal because right. my wife wouldn't let me quit. You know, and it's, I think it's such an important point you bring out about just being a fly on the wall. I think there are plenty of GPs, right? General partners, sponsors, operators, different synonyms there for the same thing of people who are running commercial real estate deals as a syndication who were not, were in your shoes not too long ago and would be willing to allow you to, you know, like I said, if you're investing, you're adding value to them, right? They need investors. They need some equity, some capital. And, you know, at least suggest that, you know, to be a fly on the wall. I think that's an opportunity that all of us should really take up if we can. Not everyone's going to be open to that, but I think if you find the right people, and again, you had that that rapport with someone who also was a veteran and someone who you had that relationship with, that's something that I think is a great stepping stone to getting into your first deal. And I love how you also broke it down. Kind of, we have these limiting beliefs and thinking, well, okay, a 10 deal I can really take down, but a you know a 300 unit apartment building, like I can't take that down. When in fact, it's literally the same exact processes. It's just intimidating if you've never done it before. And I'm not suggesting that everyone go out and your first deal do a 300 unit, but if you have the right team members, and you're willing to at least do a 10 unit, then you shouldn't be afraid. That's what I'm saying. 100%. You know, and so that deal was in February of 2019. Already went full circle on it. So got all my investment back and then some sold. It was really great, exceeded expectations. But what's kind of cool is, you know, that was my largest investment ever, you know, even though it was an LP or GP or anything. And what's kind of cool is coming full circle is was on the, the general partnership side of a 419 unit that we just closed on last month. Wow. So, you know, it was really cool to kind of, you know, come full circle basically of being fully intimidated of these large deals to being a part of closing on one. Mm -hmm. You know, so it was really great to reflect back after the closing of going, wow, all right, you know, what, three years ago, I was intimidated, never, how am I going to do this? Didn't know, you know, what I would literally, what I was doing to having the confidence to close on, yeah. on a large deal, you know, with some great partners. So yeah, it's been a ride, you know. That's awesome. That's amazing. Now, I imagine this is not something that you need to be doing, right? I mean, you were retired from the military, you have some investments, you had real estate going on. And this is a question I ask all my guests really is what's pushing you? What's really the why? What's kind of leading you to do this, right? You could be just sitting back, enjoying retirement or enjoying life, have some hobbies, maybe invest on the side and I kind of live off that. But is there something that's really pushing you and driving you and your why, so to speak? There is, yes. Like you said, you know, I could have retired, you know, and I was unique and didn't mention before, but I was a wounded warrior, ended up being injured a couple of times, blast injuries and stuff. So the government takes care of me. So I could literally retire, retire. But one is I have to stay active. But, you know, I want to give back. You know, I joined the military and I stayed in the military for as long as I did for something bigger than myself. You know, I didn't join for that. I joined like, every, you know, I need, you know, I don't know what I want to do with my life. I didn't want to waste my parents' money going to college. So let me go do something for four years. Government pays for college, blah, blah, blah. Fell in love with it. Love the people, love the mission and what, you know, it stands for and being able to represent our country globally. And, you know, I wanted to maintain that feeling and that sense of community and, you know, just, I don't want to make money. I mean, I, hold on. <laughs> that came out wrong. <laughs> of course, you want to make money. 
But my end all be all is I don't need money. Yes, I like it. My wife loves it. But it's what can I do with that money? And so I turn my why into giving back. So I give back 20% of my personal profits back to veteran and first responder charities. That's awesome. And, you know, and that's just my way because, you know, some of those nonprofits help me with my recovery after my injuries. And so, you know, that's my why. So I look at it is, is when I do my annual planning and with my partner and I, we look at it as not, okay, yes, we want to increase our revenue and all this. But our driving factor is, okay, last year we were able to donate X. All right, so how much more of an impact do we want to have this year and how mm-hmm. much more do we want to raise and give away? And then that helps us drive our revenues. Right. So it's a little bit different. You know, yes, you know, obviously we do a good job with our investors and stuff, but we take care of our investors and it's out of our side of it. So investors don't, doesn't affect them whatever mm-hmm. or whatsoever. And, you know, what's kind of cool is... Because of our passion and our why is that's how we generate a lot of our investors or limited partners. They invest with us because they love our why, because of what we're doing. They've donated alongside of us. That's great. Uh, some of the charities because, you know, they know how much it's not just helped me and my wife personally, but how much, you know, we focus and help because it's not just money, but we volunteer. I give time, effort, you know, so it's what we do, you know, That's great. I'm not doing real estate. I'm helping others. That's amazing. And I think it's a really important point also for all other syndicators out there that may be listening to this and investors that may be listening to this, share what you're doing because your investors will relate to you on many levels, but most importantly, about your passions and things that you're passionate about, things that are driving you, they'll relate to that and be more likely to invest alongside with you because they align with your values and with what you stand for. And I think that's you know a point that cannot be driven home hard enough. You want to make sure, you know, people say they invest or they do business with people they like and they know and they trust. But again, if your why or what's driving you and you're trying to impact certain communities, let's say, people who also are driven and influenced by those type of communities will have much more alignment with you on your path. So just a tip there, but it's certainly something that I love to see. Exactly. Yeah. And I love the fact that you're giving back 20%. That's something that I strive for as well. And I know many other people to do that. And even... There are ways to even write it into your business plan and kind of reverse engineering. This is something that I do also is how much money do I want to give away this year? And then based on that, like, okay, so how much we need to do this year? And I kind of reverse engineer that. And I love that. And to me, it's more fun, you know, because it, you know, looking at it is, yeah, you know, yeah, it's fun to go, okay, I want to make more money and stuff. But really, at the end of the day, it's superficial, Mm -hmm. right? Because you only need so much to live off of, right? But if you can, you know, to me, it's like, okay, how do we, how do I give more, right? How can I donate more? You know, maybe we want to double it or we want to increase 20% increase over last year. And so that's what, you know, at least from the, our, the Rob and I, as the founders of the company, that's what keeps us motivated. And that's the key because if you're not having fun with what you're doing, why do it? Because we know that it, any syndicator out there knows that it's not all fun and games. You know, there's, there's a lot of work, a lot of stress and a lot sure. of, you know, Sure. Absolutely. And you have to manage tenants. I mean, you have you have a lot going on when you have a 419 unit apartment building. That means there's 419 families that are really under, you know, in your community that you have a responsibility to help, you know, make a place, a safe place for them to live, a community that they feel that they want to call home. 
And the more successful you can do that, the more retention you'll have, right? The more people will want to live there and be part of that community. So that in of itself is a huge responsibility. It definitely comes with a lot of stress, I'm sure. Yes, sir. Are there any specific ways, and this is something I like to ask around the holiday times, especially, which is when we're recording this, are there any ways that you particularly like to give back to the actual communities that you own, meaning the apartment complexes that you do any special food drives or toy drive, anything like that? Because I've heard a lot from other syndicators that they do some fun things like that. We do. It's We typically make it property dependent. I like to focus more on the C-class properties. You know, that's more of the blue collar workforce housing. They're the ones that actually, because I think that's more of, that's my roots. That's where I grew up, mm-hmm. you know, come from a blue collar family where we like to do more. So we like, to, especially around the holidays is, you know, because a lot of them, you know, they live paycheck to paycheck, you know, they don't own a home. So they're renting because they can't, you know, buy a residential or whatever, you know, they may be working two jobs. That's where we like to focus our, our effort. And we'll work with our property management. We'll have, you know, we've had, you know, like Thanksgiving meals. We'll have like a little, like last year at one of them, at a couple of our properties, actually, we hired a Santa, you know, and they came in around, you know, there and sat with the kids. And we had like eggnog and, you know, a little, little just community get together. So, and what's cool is we kind of, we work with our property management of, of a budget and they just execute it, you know, and then yeah, if we can, now, now this year, my goal is to actually go out and try to visit some of the communities, trying to finally get in there to where it's like, okay, you know, this is great, but I want to, you know, I want to go and interact with those communities, you know, mm-hmm. and listen that, you know, the owners aren't, you know, we're like them, you know, we're not there to take advantage of them, if you will, like some operators, you know, have in the past. Sure. Yeah, it's unfortunate that things like that do exist, but it's important to get to know essentially they're your clients. There are people that you are servicing and making it feel like a, a place where they want to live in a community. I think there's a lot of ways you can go about doing that. So good for you. It's always good to hear. Always good to hear that. Multifamily. Obviously, this is a place, this is a space investment class that a lot of people focus on. And it seems like it's where everyone is focused on depending where you're looking from, but the vantage point, are there any other asset classes that you personally are invested in or are looking to invest in as well? I like mobile home parks. Okay. So very similar in terms of the affordable housing. It is. Yeah. So it's on our end, you know, and it's, you know, it's the quintessential, you know, workforce housing. You know, I currently live in Montana. We just moved to our kind of our dream property. Oh, wow. I lived in Colorado up to literally about seven months ago. And, you know, one of the things that, and I lived in Seamount Springs, Colorado, so it's a little resorty town, you know, obviously there's money and stuff there, but one of the things, you know, my wife and I were, we like to be involved with the community and there's no affordable housing in a lot of some of these communities. Mm-hmm. And there was literally the like restaurants and, and stuff that the employees are driving 40 miles. Wow. So that's to where they can afford to live. They have to drive 40 miles one way which is horrible in the wintertime on a two lane road. So, you know, it's because they can't afford anything close. And so that's kind of what, honestly, what got me interested into the mobile home parks is we could go in and we tried this. There's a lot of hurdles and sure. a lot of communities are against mobile home parks right. and stuff. But we were trying to go in and now listen this. We want to make a nice park. We want to have an adult own the trailers. We want to, learn, we want to keep this affordable. We were trying to build relationships with the uh, community housing just to work something out. You know, like, hey, give some tax benefits and we'll run this thing at, you know, cost basically. 
you know, and just because we want to give back. And yeah. so that's been my interest in, you know, with that, because it's a good stopgap to allow people to give them affordable. Yeah, it's not a residential, but, and you know what, being able to live 10 minutes from work instead of 45 minutes, and then you're not worried about your spouse being on the road in the mm-hmm. wintertime. And, you know, there's a lot of goodness that comes from that. So that's, that's where I gravitate to that. That's great. In fact, we just had recently, one of the recent episodes here, we had Yoel Kelman from Three Pillar Communities. They actually are underway in a big development of a mobile home, a manufactured housing community in Bozeman, Montana. So that's, you know, similar thing. It's a very high kind of high-end community where it's very difficult to, you know, to live there if you don't make a certain, you know, high pay grade and building affordable housing in a way that is very, you know, the manufactured housing that exists now is like a world of difference from the trailer parks of yesteryear. And I think a lot of people still have that stigma. But in fact, when you look into it, it's actually can be extremely nice communities that they're building and extremely affordable. So that's awesome. I love to hear that and love to hear more people getting into that space and helping to make a difference. And hopefully the the townships and the municipalities can be a little more open to these type of developments to make it easier for folks. I mean, that's, I wish that were the case. Unfortunately, there's a lot of red tape sometimes in certain locations. Yeah. In a lot of locations. Yes, sir. Well, Colby, I want to transition now to what we call the final four. These are four questions I love to ask all my guests. So first question to you is what is the worst job that you ever had? My worst job was working at my dad's gas station. So he had a little gas station, auto repair shop in the South Florida And my job was to clean the bathrooms and clean the stalls. So, yes, that was horrible. But I learned a couple of the good side of that is I learned good work ethic in that, hey, you know, you still need to take pride in whatever job you do, whether, you know, I made sure I had the cleanest toilet bowl to the stalls were as clean as I could get, you know, as they're covered in grease and stuff and oil from every day. But I also realized that, you know what? is I want to do more than this. And I think that's what kind of put, you know, planted my initial seed of, you know, yeah, I'm going to eventually start my own business and, you know, be successful. So I don't necessarily have to do this. If I want to. Yeah. I love how we can always bring lessons out of, out of the worst possible situation. I mean, not, it's not the worst possible. I shouldn't say that, but a pretty, you know, downright bad type of job to do cleaning bathrooms in a gas station. I don't think anyone would envy that. But second question for you, I'm kind of confusing my questions today, but second question is going to be, what is a book you've read that's given you a paradigm shift? Yeah. So probably about two years ago, I came across Traction by Gino Wickman. Mm-hmm. And it was a huge, and you know, I'm a firm believer that books will come to you at the right time. So there's books I've read that didn't mean anything. I'll go back and read them a year later. And it's like, wow. And so Traction was kind of one of those books. And it hit perfectly because I was struggling of trying to maintain focus. You know, where should I go? How many markets should I expand? Should we, you know, all these, you know, chasing the shiny object type thing. And so it was really perfect for me. And what I liked about that is how to focus, create a 10-year plan, you know, vision, how to implement it. And what was also cool about it is, the way it's you start at 10 years and basically you back plan is really what we did in the, in the military for a mission. What's our objective? Mm-hmm. And you back plan. You don't start from here and go, how do I get there? You start there and back plan to where do I, you know, to get to that. And so that's also resonated and, and really picked up. And so I use a lot of traction to book in, in mm-hmm. day to day 
business. And so, yeah, if anyone hasn't read that and you're struggling with their business and keep them focused, that's a really good book. Awesome. Yeah. Love that. It's been brought up a couple of times previously on the podcast, but definitely a great one. Make sure to put that on your book list. And we'll make sure to put that in the show notes for anyone to check out Traction by Gina Weekman. And third question for you, which is what is a skill or talent that you would like to learn? Yeah. You know, that's a good question. So I want to learn Korean. Korean, Uh, the language. Awesome. So kind of two reasons for that is one is, so my wife is half Korean. My seven-year-old son, who is blonde hair, blue-eyed, is almost fluent in Hangul. So I need, especially as he gets older, I need to know when he's cussing, when he's saying, you know, <laughs> I need to know. But also in that is kind of part of my, it goes back to is my vision is I want to start an international fund and already having familial contacts through my wife and her family in Korea, I think that would be a great place to start. And, you know, being able to speak the language, having those contacts. So that's kind of a talent. Plus, you know, it's pretty cool because most people, they're like, oh, you know, everyone knows Spanish or knows a little bit of Spanish, German, European, whatever. But they're like, you start throwing out Korean and you're like, where'd that come from? You know, so. Mm -hmm. That's great. No, that is definitely good. And obviously having that familiar connection is a great, you know, outlet to to make sure to to utilize that. So good for you. I'd love to hear your progress on that. But language happens to be one of the most common answers to this question is someone learning a new language of some kind or another. But Korean is the first time we've ever had. So that might be a trivia question on the Weiss Advice Game Show, which is coming out in a theater near you. Fourth and final question, what does success mean to you? Success to me is basically is leaving a legacy. You know, of I want something that not that I'm not just proud of, but my son and his grandkids would be proud of what we're doing. So to me, that's more important than any of the money, the prestige, fame, fortune, whatever that comes with what we're doing. It's, I want to be known as, you know, an honest, fair, great integrity, you know, business owner and an investor. Right. Absolutely. I mean, that's, that's true success. When you leave this world, what, how people remember you. And that's, that's really important. And more importantly, how they think of you when you are still on this world. I think that's <laughs> even more important, but, uh, but that's awesome. Colby, it's really been a pleasure speaking with you today. Where can our listeners find you or reach out to you? Yeah, definitely. So email is, is always good. So colby.bowers at sentinelequitygroup.com. I'm on Instagram. So colbyaf at instagram.com. Find me there. I'm giving a little bit more tidbits and that's where I'm doing more of my real estate stuff on there. But I'm on Facebook too, Coley Bowers. Yeah, reach out. Love to talk. Awesome. We'll make sure to put all those links in the show notes and appreciate you spending the time with us here today again. And it's really been a pleasure. Thanks, Jonah. This has been a blast. And to our listeners, thank you guys for listening once again, all the way to the end. And remember, the best advice comes only when you ask. Real quick, I have one question for you. Did you like this episode? If you did, I wanna ask you a huge favor. See, the biggest thing that helps this podcast grow and that will spread this message to the whole world is that if you leave a review, a rating, and subscribe to the podcast. What that does is it basically tells the platforms that this podcast is out on is that you like my stuff and I'm doing something right. So take a few seconds out of your day, hit that subscribe button, leave a rating or review. I would be extremely grateful. Also, I wanna hear from you guys. So I wanna hear some feedback. If you have any questions for future episodes, please find me on LinkedIn, send me a DM, a connection request, Yona Weiss, 
and love to hear from you.